Landlord Law Podcast with solicitor Tessa Shepherdson. Hello and welcome to the Landlord Law Podcast. I'm Tessa Shepherdson and this edition of the podcast is a companion for the Landlord Law Weekly Bulletin number 230, which is going to be published or by the time you hear this will have been published on Tuesday the 14th of November 2023. And note that if you're not signed up to receive the bulletins, you can do this at landlordlaw.co.uk slash bulletin. So I've got a couple of training events to remind you about in this introduction. The first one, if you're a Landlord Law member, we have our next monthly training webinar on Wednesday. And this is part of the series that I've been doing and it is going to be on dealing with rent arrears. An important topic and one I'm sure you hope you won't have to deal with. The next training reminder is about my one day workshop, which is going to take place next week. And if you haven't already booked your place on this, I suggest you do so should you should you want to. And you can find the sign up page via the Landlord Law homepage. There's a little yellow ticker take thing that runs along the top and you'll find a link to the information and booking page for the training workshop. So that's enough for the introduction. Let's now take a look at news. So news. Taking a look at the Landlord Law News Round number 316, the first item there, quite a long item, is about the King's Speech and the Renters Reform Bill and the court delays for eviction proceedings. Now, we weren't sure for a while whether they were going to proceed with the Renters Reform Bill or not, but it looks as if they are, and they will shortly be going through the committee stage, which is when all the main alterations are made. And there will be quite a lot of alterations done, I understand. So the draft bill that you see on the Parliament site now is is not going to be the same as the final bill. However, the main point for discussion now is the question of Section 21, which is going to be abolished, but the delay for abolishing it until they've managed to sort out the court system. Now, I know that the tenants' organisations are very upset about the delay that is going to take place. And I can understand that. And indeed, a few years ago, when I wrote a series of posts about the abolition of Section 21, I wrote a post called The Evil Rule, which explains just why Section 21 is actually really bad for society and the various problems that it brings. However, getting rid of Section 21 before we've got a proper procedure which landlords trust for dealing with the eviction of tenants is also a bad idea because it means that landlords are more likely to sell up, which means that the supply of properties is going to reduce, which is going to make it in turn difficult for tenants and probably put the rents up even further. And there are two types of eviction that are really important. And these are eviction for rent arrears, because otherwise landlords could actually go into bankruptcy if they're forced to house tenants who aren't paying for months and months and months. And the other one is eviction for antisocial behaviour, which is really important because antisocial behaviour is such a problem for other tenants and and the neighbourhood generally. 
So that's really why the implementation of Section 21 has been delayed until the court process can be sorted out. But the question is, how long is it going to take them to sort out the process? Now, Suzanne, who writes the Independent Landlord blog, has pointed out that in the briefing notes to the King's speech, it refers to an initial commitment of 1.2 million to begin designing a new digital system for possessions, which means that they haven't really started the process. So God knows how long this is going to take. I doubt that they'll be able to sort out the the court process until after the general election, when we may be faced with a Labour government which will want to bring in the abolition of Section 21 sooner. And Angela Rayner has said that. So we'll have to see. It may be that when it comes to it, the Labour Party will be reluctant to risk more landlords selling up and disappearing from the private rented sector because that is going to present such problems because it's going to be a long time before the millions of houses that the Labour Party say they want to build are actually going to be built. So, there you go. The other items on the news round are about Airbnb and the article talks about how Airbnb are implying that A lot of renters would like to rent out a spare room, but if they do so, it could create an HMO, which could cause them problems. Now, it's only really going to cause major problems if the HMO that's created is a licensable HMO. So all landlords need to go and check to see whether their property, um, if it has sharers in it, is a licensable HMO because it's not always just those with five or more occupiers in two or more households. Local authorities can have additional licensing schemes where you need to license the property if there's fewer occupiers. And indeed, there are some local authorities which have selective licensing schemes, which means that you need to license the property even if it's not an HMO at all. And then there's a couple of items, uh, one about a landlord hit with, a, I have to say, a massive fine. It's nearly half a million, but it does look as if his property was in an absolutely shocking state. And I, I'm sure none of the landlords listening to this podcast will have their property in quite that, that condition. And then there's a, an interesting item about councils cracking down on waste levels which is where Coventry is trying to reduce the rubbish outside HMOs and is fining landlords for that. So those are the items on the news round. I'd also like to mention if you read The Guardian, which I do, they are starting a series of posts on the rent crisis. For example, they've got a post about the problems with damp and rent and how this is affecting toddlers. But they've also got posts about the problems that landlords are experiencing and how it is becoming less profitable to have a landlord business. So it'd be interesting to see what they publish there. And it looks as if they are trying to be fairly balanced about it. So that's enough about news. Let's now take a look at recent posts. As usual, we have three recent posts featured on the bulletin. The first one is about the perennial problem of pets. And it came from a conversation I had with the lady who runs Advocates, which is a very useful organisation which helps both landlords and tenants deal with a situation where a tenant wants to keep a pet. 
And she was concerned about the situation where you have a head lease. And a head lease is where the landlord is themselves a tenant under a lease. And their lease will often prohibit pets. And this is often a cast iron reason for landlords to prohibit pets for their tenants because they can't allow their tenants to keep a pet because that will put them in breach of their own lease. So this is a bit of a problem because tenants are after the renters' reform bill has been passed, they're going to assume that it's okay for them to keep pets, although, you know, it isn't because the landlord can refuse it reasonably. But they're probably going to assume that. But, of course, if the landlord is a lessor and his head lease has an absolute prohibition against pets, then there's no way that he can agree to pets, even if he wants to. And it looks as if this situation isn't going to be changed by the renters' reform bill. And then the... Other two posts, one of them is just a little blog clinic post about when landlords gift white goods to tenants so they don't have to pay for the uh, cost of repairs. And then the final item that we got there is the evil rule post that I referred to in the news item, which may be worth revisiting. As usual, we feature one of the Landlord Law blog audios And the featured audio this week is one that I wrote a few weeks ago about flooding because it looks as if climate change is here to stay and it's only going to get worse. And one of the things that are going to get worse is flooding. So that might be quite a useful post for you to have a look at and just check to see whether your property is vulnerable to flooding. And I give on the post on the Landlord Law blog some links to places where you can go and find out what the risk is for your property. Next up, featured content. The featured content item this week is a frequently asked question on what are the rules in Wales about smoke and carbon monoxide alarms. The reason I've chosen this fact is to remind landlords of converted tenancies, rather converted contracts, those which were in existence before the 1st of December 2022, who were given a year to upgrade their smoke and carbon monoxide alarms. And that year is due to come to an end fairly soon. So if you haven't upgraded your smoke alarms so that they are connected to the electricity supply and linked to all other smoke alarms, or got your electrical condition report done, then you've only got a limited period of time in which to do this. So if you haven't, you may want to think about doing this fairly soon. There's also the fact, of course, that uh, if you have a converted contract, you should have served a conversion statement on your contract holders. This should have been done by June, but if you haven't done it, you should still do it. Because if you don't, you won't be able to use the no-fault ground for eviction. We do have a very useful page for landlord law members where I give fairly extensive help for Welsh landlords on how to create a conversion contract with sort of draft wording and all the rest of it, which you can, uh, you can adapt. So that is there for you if you still haven't done your statement. And just again, the things I've been talking about in this section only apply to Welsh landlords. So if you're an English landlord, don't worry about it. We take a look at the forum next.
The Landlord Law Forum is where members can ask me questions and also discuss things among themselves. So we've got three conversations that have been started during the past week. The first one was on the mixed use of premises. So if premises are being used for business and also for residential. Now, this rather falls outside the remit of landlord law because we don't deal with um, sort of commercial type premises. But my understanding is that if the premises were set up for business use, then that will prevail even if it's now being used for residential. Although, if you're a landlord law member and you've got any experience of of this situation, please do go in and add a comment because I'm sure the person who posted the question would be very grateful for any experience that other members have had. The next item is on right to rent and it's headed conflict with tenancy agreement but it's basically where somebody's right to rent has run out because they've lost their employment before they leave the tenancy and the questioner wondered what her obligations were and that is basically that you have to follow the rules. So if somebody has a limited right to rent when the right to rent um, expires or just before you have to do another further check and if you find when doing that further check that they've lost their right to rent then you have to tell the home office Uh, and that's it really you don't have to evict them or anything you only need to evict them if the home office get in touch with you serving the proper form of notice and tell you to do so and then finally we had an item about the licensing of HMOs where our member said that his agent was telling him that the obligation to license was dependent in some way as to whether the tenants rented a property on individual agreements for their own room or whether they signed together a joint and several tenancy for the entire property. And the answer is that it doesn't make the slightest bit of difference. Whether a property is an HMO or not depends on A, the number of people living there whether they're a tenant or not, they can be a permitted occupier, and B, how many households there are. So household is basically a family unit, although um, some types of employees, such as carers and nannies, can can be part of the household. And really, if there's five individuals living there and they form two households, then that'll be a licensable HMO, in England anyway. In Wales, there's an additional requirement of, of three or more stories. And it doesn't really make any difference what type of tenancy agreement they've got. And I have to say, I'm surprised that the agent didn't seem to be aware of that. If you're a Landlord Law member and you've got any comments on any of these things, do go in and put your comments on the forum or any of the other posts that are up there. Because it's always good if it's a discussion rather than just me answering questions. Right, next up, video of the week and the tip of the week. Our video of the week this week is a little promotional video that we've done which explains how to use the landlord law sort of do-it-yourself eviction service really which is quite fun. I thought you might like to see it. You'll find it at the top of our reinstated eviction page which again goes through in a bit more detail the eviction service and has links where you can sign up as a member if you want to use it. We did have the um, eviction page earlier, but I took it down during COVID because, you know, things changed such a lot during COVID. But uh, 
as that period now seems to have finished, I have reinstated it. And the tip of the week is connected to eviction. And basically, it's just saying to landlords, I know this sounds awful, but uh, you need to be careful about trusting tenants when they say they're going to pay. Because I, when I did eviction work, I've known many, many situations where landlords have spoken to their tenants who promised to pay. So the landlord stopped doing anything to do with eviction, believing them, and then the tenants didn't pay. And of course, the effect of that is that it's going to take the landlord longer to get the property back because they haven't been getting on with it. And one way to look at it is often, I know it sounds awful, when tenants do this, what they're doing is they're negotiating a further rent-free period in your property. So the way to deal with it is to say to them, yes, that's great if you want to pay. I'm not going to evict you if you pay, assuming you're evicting them because the renter is. But you've got to pay. And until you do pay, I'm going to be carrying on with the process. But as soon as you've paid, I will stop it. And then if you deal with it in that way, then it's not going to slow you up. And I do think that's important because it takes such a long time. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of articles in the press and in the landlord news about how long it takes landlords to get a, an eviction claim through the courts. So you really don't want to slow it up any longer than you have to. This final section of the podcast is scheduled in to talk about training, but I've discussed some of the training in the introduction and I want to talk a bit about news because I record this podcast on a Monday and I came out of my office Monday lunchtime to discover that there was going on a cabinet reshuffle. And one of the things being reshuffled is the housing secretary. And it, I see that the housing secretary, Rachel McLean, has been sacked. Now, I don't know who's going to take her place. By the time you hear this, you will probably know. But this is the, this is the eighth housing minister since the 2019 election. And I really don't think this is a good idea. We are at a critical stage of the Renters' Reform Bill. It's about to go into its committee stage. We really need ministers who understand it. One of the problems that we've had with housing, arguably one of the reasons why we have a housing crisis, is that there is a constant revolving door of housing ministers. And very few of them have an opportunity to really get on top of their brief until they're sacked and somebody new comes in. Now, I know they've got the civil servants behind them who do a lot of the real work, but even so, I, I am concerned because I really don't think it's a particularly good idea to have somebody who knows very little about it in charge of it at such a critical stage. So there, there's my view on it. We'll have to see what happens. And when I do the next podcast, we'll, we'll know more about it. So it remains for me to say thank you for listening to this podcast. And I'll speak to you next week. That was the Landlord Law Podcast with solicitor Tessa Shepherdson. Sign up for the Landlord Law Weekly Bulletin at landlordlaw.co.uk slash bulletin. Mm-hmm.